Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sans Pants Radio. You've got a friend in me. Welcome to another episode of Movie Maintenance, where some films just need fixing. I'm Gabe. I'm Damien. I'm Handsome Tom. And today we're looking at Troy. I watched the Troy director's cut recently, and they change half the songs, yeah, 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 half the yeah. music, and it made me so angry. Like, because it's just like I'm not going to sing it because I don't have the voice of a beautiful opera singer. But um, oh, yes, don't that, tell yourself short, man. Like that choral. <laughs> That's probably close That's enough. Pretty like, close. You know, it's like that, there's kind of like choral, like almost wailing in the back of like the opening yeah, credits yeah. and everything. It's, yeah. it's really cool. And they just get rid of all of that. Like all of the female vocals are just gone in the do, director's cut. Do they just replace um, it with um, "Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick"? They, they, yeah, the they don't. Hit me with your rhythm stick. Hit me. Hit me. You don't know that song. I'm glad that that's the case. <laughs> hit me slowly. Hit me quick. Um, then I replace it with that though. So no, what is the music? Do they take scores like, from other just, things? Or? They, well, they actually do. Um, because the Achilles Hector fight, which only had like sort of drumming in yeah, the background. Yeah, the best, in, the it's best. so it's Brilliant. such a good fucking oh, scene. Yeah. But they replace that with music that's apparently from Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. So that's got like all this like epic bombastic music in it. It's like, no, it was so good because like the tension of it was film? like, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. But like... <laughs> Someone's gone, oh, Danny Elfman's uh, Planet of the Apes soundtrack definitely fits ancient Greece. But I think one of the reasons that scene was so memorable and so effective was par- partly the fact that, like, it didn't actually have any music apart from, like, it's just the drumming that would intensify mm. as the fire would kind of pick up and everything. And it was really cool and really edge of your seat. And the effect was totally ruined by adding this sort of shitty yeah, extraneous weird. music. I have no idea what was going on with the director's cut because it's really bad. Well, so that's probably why they decided not to give him final say, obviously, because his cut was shit. Is it just the soundtrack, the change in the director's cut? Is There's the director's a lot of really, really, really extraneous scenes. A lot of the early stuff with Paris and Hector, like particularly when they're leaving Sparta, the points are just made over and over again. There are just like heaps of scenes of Hector being like, don't bang Helen, and Paris is like, not banging Helen. And then Hector's like, I told you not to bang Helen, and Paris is like, sorry I banged Helen. And there's just a lot of that. It's like, no, we... I get I, it. He's disapproving. I, 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 I wish done. it was literally that. It's like, don't you dare, Paris, don't you put your dick in her. Just Eric Banner with his full Australian accent. <laughs> As pointer. <laughs> what, did, what did you do, Paris? Oh, I put my dick in her. I'm sorry, dead <laughs> brother. Uh, um, Troy. What a film. But I love Troy. Like, I actually, like, yeah. unabashedly, unashamedly love the film in its original form, not the shitty director's cut. Um, like, I think I saw Troy 
No, I'll tell you what. I was exactly the right age for Troy when it came out. 13, I was 13. 14. Yeah, there you go. I saw it four there times in the movies. I told everybody it was the best film ever. I had seen the complete Lord of the Rings trilogy by this point, <laughs> but Troy okay. like had this for this brief window of time which I'm putting down to puberty hormones, I legitimately thought Troy was the greatest film there ever was. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. I remember the day the DVD came out. It was like, it was meant to come out on the 22nd of October. And my birthday is the 21st of October. And I remember walking to a sanity and it came out a day early. And I was like, yes! And I was like, mom, look at this. It's for my birthday. They brought out Troy early. And then like my, my 13th birthday party was um, I got a whole bunch of friends to the pub that my dad ran at the time. Mm. And we had like the back room booked out for the party. And I had this like shitty minuscule, like maybe 30 centimeters across oh, TV. Boy, what a wonderful And I made vision. everybody gather around <laughs> and on that tiny TV, watch Troy in this like darkened pub room instead of actually like mingling or being part of the party. And then I remember getting really upset at one of my friends because he kept on making jokes every time Brad Pitt spoke. And I was like, and I got, I think I was on the verge of tears. I was like, fucking just don't bad Troy, it's the best film ever. So look, you know, my- How many my, friends did you have at your 14th birthday a, party, Gabe? Uh, <laughs> so they've, they've, you they've know had what? that peak at the 13th. What did you get for the 14th, I, mate? I don't think I had a 14th birthday party because funnily enough, I didn't have any friends that oh, year. Oh, shame. What do you know? What surprise, surprise. Troy doesn't bring people yeah. together like you. Like you'd hope. It was your 13th as well. Obviously, that's when boys have their bar mitzvah. They're they're becoming a man. This was your bar mitzvah. (laughs) Your Troy mitzvah. Wow. Wow. See, my Troy, I think, is my brother's favorite film of all time. And I think it still is. I think it's like Troy 300, depending on the day. There's a bit of a theme there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, His thing was always used to get upset that like the fight scenes finished quick (laughs) and he would like rewatch it. Oh, no, no. I've got a. Okay, so he would rewatch like the film a lot and like quote along with it. But the best Troy story I've got is my old housemate. I was an old bloke, and he wouldn't watch movies. He would just watch clips from movies on YouTube. So he would watch like the whole movie, but just in like ten minute bursts of random scenes on YouTube. He would never watch a whole film. He used to just watch the Troy, uh, the Achilles and Hector fight, like every couple of weeks. Just that scene, it's good. just it's on good its scene. own on YouTube. Right. I mean, with context, it's even better. Well, but he never watched the whole. He's like, oh yeah, I've seen it. Most most of the films that he'd seen had just been like collections of the best bits on YouTube. That's yeah. a very very weird way to. He'd also flip film. between that and the fight uh, with is it Ajax, mm. the hammer bloke? Yeah, no. yeah, 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 it's yeah Ajax. that's Ajax. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, watch that as well. That wasn't um, that good of a fight, though. Can we actually just talk about how great the battle scenes are in Troy, though? Oh, they're great. Like, the, open, the the first battle when the Greeks turn up and, like, you know, the Trojan cavalry comes and Achilles, like, gets the guy with the spear right mm. next to Hector and all of that. It's a great scene. Yeah. Outstanding, the, yeah. Yeah, like, it's a lot of the a lot of the combat stuff in that film is really, really good. I think where it falls short is the script. Thanks, mm. David Benioff. Yep. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But he's so good at dialogue as we're now seeing in Game of Thrones <laughs> Season 7. <laughs> Wow. It's a bit heavy handed at times because I quite like the theme, the idea of, you know, wanting your name to last throughout the ages. But they literally state it at every, yeah, at every possible opportunity. As soon as Achilles is there, it's like, oh, you want your name to live forever, Achilles. All right, we fucking get it. Like, yeah. Pull it back. He, he gets some nice bits of dialogue. There are some, yeah, there mm. are some good things. Like, I, Eric I like Banner the- gets some good bits. I like the bit with the little kid at the start where he's like, yeah. oh, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. And Achilles is just like, that's why no one will remember your right. name. Right. See, but yeah. that's, a good, that's a good way yeah. to describe theme, not just, hey, you want your name to be remembered forever. Yeah, they that's do. That's the care. way they to do. do it. John is my favorite plot point, And it's clear that, you know, Benioff has learned his lesson with the way he sometimes sidebars women in things, um, <laughs> is the whole Rose Byrne thing. Mm. And she's like captured. She's literally sold to Achilles as a, as a slave. Yeah. She's like Trojan, like through I don't and through. Think- 
She gets bored. She, yeah, she's, she's not. She's not willingly with he Achilles. Doesn't buy her, no. but they they give her to him like yes. a gift or something. Spoils yeah. of yeah. war, basically. Spoils yeah, of yeah, war, yeah. and it's like, ugh, I hate you. They have sex one time, and she's like, oh, Brad Pitt's a really good fart And like, and also like watching it now, it's like. Her whole development in that, it's something where, like, I think I think they have one conversation before that yeah. where Achilles is like, oh, yeah, yeah, and she has that bit where she's like, I thought you were a brute. I could have forgiven a brute. Yeah. And then they have sex. Yes. <laughs> then, they, like, the next time, I think ne- yeah. the next time they share the screen together, they just have sex. And yeah. it's like they have this one conversation where she's like, huh, you're smarter than I thought you were, and that actually makes your actions less justifiable, yes. and now I'm going to fuck you. Yeah. I mean, she held a knife to his throat first, but that was arguably foreplay. <laughs> Let's be honest. With Achilles, yeah, if you're holding yeah. a knife to his throat, like, is it not going to end in anything? He's, like, he's going to be have a throb and drop. No uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it weird for you to say the word like, in that context? Yeah, I mean, I you? feel like I'm talking about myself as Brad Pitt's genitals, which is all sorts of confusing. <laughs> I'd watch that movie in which Damien Robb plays Brad Pitt's <laughs> penis. Save um, that for another the, Look, the homoeroticism in oh, he, Troy. It's his cousin. Guys, it's it's his cousin, okay? okay? It's just his cousin. Okay. It's just yeah, his sure, cousin. Sure. Like every time Patrick yeah. is on screen, his cousin. His cousin. Achilles' oh cousin. Oh my god, they really his ha- cousin. If you read his the original Iliad. Yeah, they're gay as fuck. They're gay as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like gay as fuck. Patrick is like, like the official every- Every dialogue scene between Achilles They're and Patroclus and any yeah, mm. Patroclus and anyone is just no homo. Like that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. every single scene. And the reason Brad Pitt gets so upset and wants to go into battle is because his cousin is dead. Yeah, and yeah not, right. The one man who loved and understood him is now dead. Mm. And that's uh, I think kind of why Briseis is there as well because right. it's his cousin. It's definitely his cousin. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, it's Whoa. just it's wow. That film like bends over backwards. To, to avoid have... bending over backwards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and and oh, still, yeah. the Achilles Patroclus scenes are still really homoerotic. Yeah. Like, the whole I'm... thing is homoerotic. He carries around a spear, he's in short shorts. <laughs> yeah, look, it's definitely. He's got, got like that the elements. best wig ever made oh. in a TV show or film. But, yeah, you, so like, did you grow your hair out after watching that movie? I didn't dye blonde, I promise. <laughs> Do you know what? No, I imagine you did it. His blonde. There are oh photos of me with long blonde hair oh, no. from that time. No. How, how have we really? not seen them? How have we not seen them? Because how do they I not exist? removed all of them from that was back in the time when you printed photos. They oh. were easy to burn. I my, found my, my goal <laughs> my goal gave is to find one of those photos. Good luck, mate. Share it with the world. Good luck. I'm determined. Um, just like Brad Pitt was determined to not admit that he was gay with Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> cousin, definitely cousin. Um, so other things that don't work in the film. I think a lot of the casting's really good. Um, I think Sean Bean is woefully miscast as Odysseus. Like, I love Sean Bean as much as the next person. I just yeah. don't think that's your, you know, intelligent strategist, hmm. wily genius king. Brian Cox's Agamemnon is great fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Brendan Gle- whoever cast Brendan Gleeson and Brian Cox's brothers deserves a raise. Oh, yeah. I, f- I didn't realise it was Brendan Gleeson until early before we started speaking. You were talking about Brendan Gleeson in like a skirt. And I'm like, yeah. It's Bre- oh my, that is Brendan yeah, Gleeson. That's Brendan Gleeson, yeah. You um, didn't recognise because he looks so good in that skirt. <laughs> he does. He rocks that skirt. Eric Banner's really good. Eric Banner is, is actually, like Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt, but I think Eric mm. Banner is the best thing about the film. Oh, by far. It, it, is, by it far. may be, it may be Eric Banner's greatest on-screen performance. You know, I actually wouldn't argue that. Yeah. I think it's, Yeah. I mean, Lantana's good, isn't it? That's that's one thing you can't fault the film for is Eric. Like, rewatching it, I was like, yeah. yeah, Eric Banner's performance. Like, there's so much of it now that I'm like, as a kid, I was like, nah, it's great. Everything's great. Watching it now, it's like, yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Mm. That sucks. But Eric Banner's fantastic. Hey, the bit great. when they decide to go on the horse is really awesome. In the horse? When they use the Trojan horse. Yeah. Yeah. The, yes. yeah. Do you think I meant, like, getting inside a horse? 
<laughs> for a moment. Like, no, no, like I thought the idea of them climbing. You, you up both, you both you don't so see them get in the horse. No, no, though. okay. You don't. The bit with the Trojan. What I'm saying is, they don't the bit get with the, in the horse. They come out of the horse. It's a twist. Yeah. Yes, you don't see them go into the horse, but, but you, you said know the bit where they go in the horse. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm not even going to make this point. What's on the invitation, Tom? <laughs> I'm, I'm um, done. I'm done. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go shoot uh, you in the foot. <laughs> one thing. One thing that I think is a real issue with it is that, like, it it tries to be revisionist, but it's not revisionist enough. It's like, no, there are no gods except for Achilles' mum, who it doesn't explain who she is, but otherwise there aren't any gods here. And like, and I like, I like little touches. Like Achilles kind of getting shot in the chest a lot and he pulls all the arrows out except for the one in his ankle. Uh, sorry, in his heel. Yep. So it's like, well, you know, that's why people thought that's what happened. Little touches like <laughs> and that. But it's poisoned, isn't it? I don't think so. Uh, I don't believe so. I think it was just the first shot that got him. It was poisoned in the original, I think. Right. But no, because that was the first that got him, but then he got like three in the chest. That's right. Because he, yeah. he, he falls over because his Achilles gets torn in half. Because yeah. at that point, because by that time, Roseburn's gone full circle and she's like, <laughs> yeah. no, don't, Kelly's. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the person who is originally my prince kill you, rapist warlord. <laughs> <laughs> but have you guys have you guys read the Troy trilogy by David Gamel? No. Um, it's a trilogy uh, fan. Like, oh, he's a fantasy author. He wrote a trilogy about the Trojan War and it's like, it's I've read so. Of Gamble, I've never read Troy. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's um, it's so. It, and that, your that's pa- are your like, pages stuck together in places? <laughs> They're not not stuck together <laughs> in places. Um, but it's that's that's a really cool series because that actually takes a really strongly revisionist angle. And there are some really, really cool things about it. Like, for example, the Trojan horse, and this is set up from the first book, the Trojan horse is the Trojan cavalry. And basically the Trojans are famous for having this like amazing cavalry. And the cavalry kind of goes out and, you know, fucks up the Greek army a lot. And then how they win the war is that they ambush the cavalry. They set a trap, ambush the cavalry, and they ride into Troy dressed as the cavalry. Ooh. And that's how they do the Trojan horse. Oh, that's so they cool. are oh wow, that's that's very Macbethy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's- little things like that that's just kind of really, really cool. And kind of the way they flip a lot of the characters and everything. Like Achilles and Hector in those books are just brutes. Like just outright brutes. Like, and even Hector is kind of like a gentle giant who sort of, you know, doesn't really want to be there, but he's good at fighting and he kind of like, you know, but he's, he's just dumb. Like he's just kind of a big, dumb, lumbering oaf. And Achilles, I think has like two lines. Like he's just in the background. They're like, oh, there's Achilles again. He's just this brutal warlord. Yeah. And like, and on the other thing is that like Helen is really fucking ugly. Like Helen is really, really ugly. And of course they, they, they make her out to be this incredible beauty, but she's actually just this awful shrill, you know, and so the the face that launched a thousand ships in the other direction. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You know, she literally, the, the boats rested on her like misshapen face (laughs) and then she launched them like, (laughs) but yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of the whole thing is that like, yeah, they pretend she's really beautiful to justify Agamemnon going to war. Yeah. Um, when so really it's bad Agamemnon, I'm just wanting to fuck up the Trojans. Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of different sort of things going on. So so I've sort of had a run at fixing Troy, um, which I guess doubles as how I would do a take on the Trojan War story. There, A lot of the best ideas were kind of already taken by the David Gamel Troy trilogy, but I've kind of, I don't know, I, I'd say this this is, this counts a fix because I guess it's a, I think it's a better version of the Troy story, but it's kind of more, I Are guess. Are you calling it Troy story instead? <laughs> Well, it doesn't have a title, so... All right, Troy Story. Troy Story is pretty great. So, yeah, and as I was working on it, it turned into a little bit of a monster because it turns out I really, really like the Trojan War story, so who'd have thunk it? There you go. Definitely me. I (laughs) definitely would have thunk it. Yeah. But, yeah, um, unless do we have anything else to cover about the film itself before we launch in? 
I reckon. I, I was just going to say, I thought they actually Orlando Bloom as Paris was quite good in that I hated him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The bit where he gets his leg cut and he crawls away. Yeah. Oh. I love that scene. Oh, it's like, just, at that point, and then and then hold, like hides behind Hector. Yeah. yeah like holding so Hector's pathetic. It's, but it, I love it. I love it so much because like and at then that he's point, the one who I remember getting so angry because he's such a pussy and he gets yeah. to kill Achilles. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that he is because it like and at that point that was kind of against type for Orlando Bloom mm. because he was playing lots of kind of swashbuckling hero types whereas. In this, it's like, yeah, he kind of was, but then no, yeah. he's a lover, not a fighter, and he gets he gets his ass handed yeah. to him. I mean, the whole and thing then his brother has to is step caused in. by him being a fucking dick, like yeah, or not being able leave. to keep his dick in his <laughs> pants. Yeah, just yeah. watch the dick, mate, and none of this <laughs> war would have happened. Mm. And the, it's actually because it's heartbreaking because then so not only not only does Paris kill Achilles, he's also responsible for the death of the other great character in mm. Hector. Yeah. yeah, his brother, like yeah, exactly. Right. Oh. Yeah, and when his dad, who's uh, Pit O'Toole, I think it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. He's like. Fight him, fight him. Yeah, fight no. him, son. Fight yeah. him. It's just like, just get no. up. Everyone yeah. knows you were just looking like a cowardly piece of and Diane shit. Diane Kruger's like, oh, is that what I. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so shall we. Unleash your 13 year olds on us, mate. It on. Oh, I will. You're I kind a, of wish you were um, doing this in a blonde wig, but. You yeah, know. well, anyway, take what we can get. Okay, you close your eyes and just imagine it. I, I am. I am. <laughs> So we open on on images of war, like flashes of war. We see armies of Greek soldiers going up against each other. We see flashes of one-on-one combat. And then weirdly here and there, we see things like like a beam of light setting fire to houses or a great palace where the halls are getting flooded with water. And, you know, servants and people are running away in fear. And superimposed over all of this, we see a map of ancient Greece with all the different nations in different colours, colours that all turn red one by one as they fall. And we cut to the smiling face of Agamemnon, who raises a glass and just says... Peace. Hmm. And we see that he addresses a long table in an opulent room in his palace. With their various crowns and fine clothes, the people gathered here are the varied kings of Greece, now brought low beneath the might of the one who unites them, being Agamemnon. And so Agamemnon begins to talk, but this version is nothing like Brian Cox's or other people's take on the character. I mean, Agamemnon, I've not seen a version of this story where Agamemnon isn't a moustache-twirling villain. So I thought I wanted to try something a bit different with him here. So is he played by Sean Bean? He could be. I actually wouldn't mind keeping Brian Cox because okay. this one would yep. require him to have a bit of range. Yep. So, yeah. And we know that he's capable yeah, he of that. Yeah, was a bit one note in the original. He was, and he was having yeah. a lot of fun. But yeah. So, yeah, basically, Agamemnon, he's thoughtful, he's softly spoken, and when people disagree with him, he listens. In fact, the impression we get is that he's a good and a wise king. And he kind of assures everyone else nothing's going to change. The only difference with Greece being under his command is that there's no more reason for infighting between all the varied nations anymore. Because for the first time, Greece is a united whole under one high king – and as such, it will finally prosper. And one of the kings, a particularly disgruntled one, asks a question that seems to be on the lips of a few of them and says, what about Troy? Agamemnon smiles. He says, Troy is not part of Greece. And he explains, ambition can be powerful, but boundless ambition is foolhardy. A man needs to set himself a target and be happy with what he can achieve. To extend his reach to Troy would mean extending beyond Greece, and then where would he stop? Hmm. Oh, so he just says, take. no, he's achieved his goal. Greece is powerful. And it's due to that that foreign nations like Troy will never trouble them again. Because previously, sure, there would have been a few probably minor battles between Troy and other Greek nations. But now, to attack one of them is to attack all of them. You don't go up against United Greece. In case that doesn't convince them, Agamemnon has taken some steps to ensure that war won't trouble them again when it comes to Troy. And we cut to Sparta. Similar to the movie, we see the court of King Menelaus, Agamemnon's brother, where he holds a feast in honour of the two Trojan princes. But there are a few key differences. The princes are Paris, the charismatic, charming dandy, and Aeneas. The young, cold, pragmatic strategist. Ah. Think like a young Stannis Baratheon. Okay. And Menelaus is not a sleazy creep here. He's, he's warm and he's kind and he's welcoming the princes with open arms. 
Still Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. yeah. And so Menelaus says he's sorry that Hector couldn't come, to which Paris laughs. You know, his older brother sees diplomacy as the filthiest of chores. If there's any way out of it, he'll take it. Hector, frankly, is quite happy to just tend his horses on his farm and leave the politics to everyone else. So Menelaus jokes that this is for the best. After all, Hector's reputation on the battlefield is famous. But this is no battlefield because the meeting today is to honour Troy and to affirm the peace between their nations to reassure Greece's closest neighbours that they need not fear them. So Paris admits that there were Trojan concerns that Agamemnon was looking beyond his borders, but Menelaus laughs them off. His brother is a king, not an idiot. He's achieved all he wanted, and now peace can reign. So the night goes well, but there's one person who doesn't seem happy about any of this, and that's Menelaus' young wife, Helen. So Helen, while attractive, she's not the face that launched a thousand ships. She's more pretty than beautiful, more girl than woman. And as Menelaus tries to quietly talk to her, we get a sense of what this marriage is. Agamemnon was forging peace between nations, and Helen was the offering the princess of one of the other nations, went to the Spartan king to consolidate their connections. And Menelaus is kind to her, but it's more like an older brother kind of, or even a father. He's much Mm. older and he's kind of very aware that she has no desire to be with him. And he sort of honours that, but it does make for sort of awkward, you know, wedding banter. Finally, the party picks up. Menelaus begins eyeing the serving girls and Helen retires to her chambers where a visitor is waiting. So Paris, of course, has been coming to her rooms for a few nights. Again, they end up sleeping together and in the afterglow, they talk. And Helen discussed the fact that she hates that she was just a bargaining chip, that her destiny was decided by her father and these circumstances beyond her control. Shouldn't she have the right to choose her own life? In Troy, you could choose, Paris says, mm. although I would hope you'd choose me. <laughs> and we get the sense he's been making this kind of argument for a while. Meanwhile, back at the party, Aeneas isn't drinking. He just watches where Helen left, brow furrowed. So the next day, the Trojan ships depart. And as they're organised, we get a sense of the hierarchy. While Paris is the elder one, it's Aeneas the men respect and defer to. Because something about the young prince exudes intelligence, forcefulness, and leadership. But if Paris is jealous, he doesn't show it. You know, he's quite happy to let his brothers take the lead while he drinks and gambles with the men. Basically, Aeneas is the competent one, Paris is the fun one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But something is troubling Paris. Something we see in the glances he shoots his brother and his occasional looks back towards Sparta. And that something becomes clear when one of the men discreetly passes a message to Aeneas, revealing that Paris has not left Sparta alone. Helen is on the boat with them. All sucked in, boys. Except, back in Sparta, the mood is not as outraged as the Trojan princes suspect. See, while Helen has vanished, Menelaus has been aware of her restlessness for a long time, and he's actually made no connection between the departure of the Trojans and his runaway wife. Just assume she's fucked off. Yeah. Mm. His assumption is she left in the night, and frankly, he's a little relieved. It will cause some issues, yes, but he's not in the business of keeping a wife who doesn't want him. And so Menelaus agreed to forget about her, take another bride, write it off as the mistake it was, and commit himself to what he really cares about, the continued running of his nation. But back on the ship, Aeneas is fucking furious. He confronts his brother. What the hell was Paris thinking? After years of fear and concern, they finally consolidated a peaceful relationship with the Greek Empire, and then Paris goes and does this? Steals the Spartan king, the brother of the high king's wife. What the hell is wrong with him? Paris tries to explain himself, but Aeneas is having none of it. There's nothing else for it. They're sending Helen back to Sparta. Paris tries to stop Aeneas, but his brother's firm and has the loyalty of the men. So fine, Paris says, I'm going too. For a moment, Aeneas considers this. He considers the inevitability that will be Paris's execution if he returns to Sparta, but ultimately he's the prince of Troy and Troy comes first. If Paris wants to go, so be it. And so Paris and Helen, guarded by a contingent of soldiers, are sent back and picked up by Spartan military ship. They're brought back to Menelaus along with a letter from Aeneas, and suddenly the Spartan king is faced with a dilemma. See, Sparta is famous for its strength and ruthlessness. The Spartan king's Mm. wife being stolen in the night by Trojan dandy does not look great. But the fact is Menelaus the king and what he values is the lives of his people. Executing a Trojan prince would be an unquestionable act of war, but letting him off would basically be one of (sighs) self-immolation. Back at Troy, Aeneas returns to court where we meet the family. 
the somewhat dithery old pious King Priam, his wife Hecuba, his brother Hector, who's turned up kind of because he has to to greet his brothers coming back, but really he just wants to get back in his farm until he hears what happened. If Aeneas was angry at Paris, this is nothing compared to Hector's reaction to hearing that Aeneas sent his own brother to die. See, Hector is a soldier, he's a simple man of honour, and there is nothing more disgusting to him than letting family die for politics. Hector ignores Aeneas' protestations or the uncertainty and wavering of his parents. He will not leave his brother to be tortured and killed by the famously brutal Spartans. So meanwhile, Menelaus reaches out to Agamemnon, who's currently enjoying the end of the war in his Spartan estates. Agamemnon comes to the palace and he hears what's happened, but while it does trouble him, he quickly ascertains that few people are aware of Helen's flight. There may be rumours, but those rumours will mean nothing when Menelaus appears sitting next to his wife and Sparta's reputation is strong enough to ignore some salacious mutterings. The best option is to send Paris back to Troy and just let that be the end of it. I like the avoidance of war. Yeah. It's it's very I like I like that this has turned from sandals and swords and mm. become politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's a political because drama. I kind of yeah. believe that kings like this would go out of their way to avoid war. Right. Like they're yeah, yeah. out for their people. And like, I, I love the tragedy of avoidance of war leading to yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's kind of what beautiful. I want to go for here. So they make the decision to send Paris back to Troy, let that be the end of it. Except that night when everyone's in their beds, the palace is set upon. Hector and a squadron of elite Trojan soldiers get in under the cover oh, of darkness Hector. and wreak havoc. They slit the throats of the guards. They murder their way into the bowels of the castle where Hector finds his brother and Helen imprisoned. He lets Paris go, but Paris implores him to take Helen. They've already committed an act of war here. Surely he can't leave this young woman to her fate. Grudgingly, Hector agrees, and the Trojans escape into the night, leaving a massacred palace in their wake. Oh, Hector, buddy. Oh, mighty. So predictably, any thoughts Pal. of peace die with the rising sun as Menelaus realizes what has happened. He might have been able to keep Helen's flight quiet, but by midday, all of Sparta knows about the attack on the palace and the nation is furious. This is an act of war. It's a slap in the face of the country that considers itself the strongest, the birth country of Greece's high king. <laughs> this Menelaus, is Sparta indeed. Menelaus confers with his brother, but things are looking grim. Agamemnon has no interest in another war, but he is Spartan and such a brazen attack on Spartan soil makes him look weak. If his fledgling Greek alliance is supposed to look remotely powerful, then they have to answer this with force. Otherwise, his leadership will fall into doubt. So Agamemnon sends envoys to the island of Ithaca, to his chief strategist being Odysseus, the king of the island. And it's here we learn that Ithaca was one of the first nations to fall to Agamemnon, and he's been using Odysseus's mind ever since. Yeah. So the three kings meet, and they talk about what an attack on Troy might mean. Odysseus suggests it might just be best left. Troy has never fallen, and he feels like spreading across the Aegean will cause foreign nations to be concerned about their own borders, because to attack Troy sends a message that Agamemnon's ambition will not stop with Greece, which is dangerous for them. Can I suggest an Odysseus who isn't Sean Bean? Yeah, yeah. Colin Farrell. I thought you were going to say Colin Firth, and I was like, fuck yes. All right, Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Agamemnon Mark shuts- Strong. Oh, no, I'm going to go Colin Firth, I yeah. reckon. Okay. So Agamemnon shuts Odysseus down because he says, this is not about ambition. This is about ensuring that Greece stays strong. Now, what does Odysseus think they can do? And so Odysseus kind of starts talking about the Trojan affinity with horses. They're famed for worshipping them. They're famed for having a powerful cavalry. But Agamemnon shuts this down. And it's now that we learn the significance of the fire and water attacks in the opening scenes. In the interest of limiting bloodshed, Odysseus came up with the idea of using belief as a weapon. A nation that predominantly worshipped the sun god Apollo oh, used tricks of reflection good. and glass to make it seem like the sun's attacking them. Those that worship the sea god Poseidon divert water into their strongholds. Make somebody believe the gods favour their enemies and their resolve weakens. Fuck oh, yeah, fucking that's love it. actually... Gay, that, this may be your greatest uh, piece of revisionism we'll yet. But Agamemnon, while he does appreciate Odysseus' strategic success, he doesn't want a repeat of it because, see, the problem with making people think the gods are against them is making them believe there are gods taking a hand in their fates. When people have a reason to believe in gods, they don't have a reason to believe in kings. And the barest hint of an omen against Agamemnon, a flood or a fire or three ravens flying in the wrong direction, could completely turn the tide of his leadership. 
Odysseus' cleverness won him the war, but it handed him a leadership full of cracks, and Agamemnon can't risk it anymore. So Odysseus will hand him a military success without using people's belief or the gods against them. So Odysseus kind of formulates his plan. He might not be able to use the gods, but he can use faith. And there is little soldiers have as much faith in as their great heroes. So Odysseus travels out to the island of the great island home of the greatest of the classical heroes, and it's here that we meet Achilles. But I want to do something a little bit different with him. This Achilles is pushing 40, and he's just past the prime of his fighting life. With him and Agamemnon's army, they've won every war, but now he's actually ready to retire, settle down, and enjoy the life of a legendary retired soldier, along with his lover, Patroclus. Because none Yay, of this Perseus crap, this is the Achilles it. of the Iliad and of Greek myth. He's dangerous, he's powerful, and he is as gay as they come. <laughs> so Odysseus meets with Achilles, and he makes the pitch. The High King of Greece is going to war against Troy, but Achilles doesn't want anything to do with it. He's done his fighting. So Odysseus puts on the cell. He tells him this will be the greatest war there's ever been. The heroes of this war will be remembered forever, blah, blah, blah. And Achilles says, yeah, that's what they said about the last one and the one before that. You know what I think? That all the wars are just a bit terrible and men like you make a living off making them sound glorious. (laughs) Odysseus shrugs. He can't argue with that. He's a general, not a soldier. He has no taste for battle, but then he's not concerned about eternal glory. He just wants to win so he can go home to his family. Achilles smiles. like He sees through Odysseus. He's still fond of the Ithacan king, but he kind of gets what's going on. And he says, not this time, old friend. And he turns away. And at this point, any humor drops from Odysseus. All right, he says, you're getting older. You've done your duty. I can't deny that. The king's law says that all Greek men must come when called. But then the law also says that men over 35 who've served in more than 20 battles may retire. Achilles is over 35. He's served in hundreds of battles. He's well within his rights. And Odysseus respects that. And he turns to Patroclus. How old are you, son? No, Achilles says, not him. Odysseus shrugs. My hands are tied. You're free to stay, but Patroclus is what? 20, 25, fresh and able, he'll make a fine addition to the king's army. He's with me, Achilles snarls. I didn't make the rules, Odysseus replies. You have an issue with it, take it up with Agamemnon or the recruitment officers. But all able-bodied young men are expected to be on the first ships to the rallying point, and the law will not be kind to those who stay behind. Oh, I love it. Do you really want to go down for protecting a deserter? And off Achilles' pained expression, we cut to the Greek fleet. Like in the film, it's enormous, stretching further than the eye can see across the vast expanse of the Aegean. On various ships, we see our heroes, Achilles and his Myrmidons, glowering and angry. Odysseus, keen eyes, scanning the Trojan horizon as he makes his plans. Menelaus, looking around at all the men about to die for his cause and wondering if it's worth it. And Agamemnon, who doesn't look excited or apprehensive, just tired, because nobody wanted this. It's great. So back at Troy, the army's being prepared. Hector, spectacular sight in his full battle armor, rallies the troops as Paris, dressed rather more flamboyantly in impractical-looking armor, comes to join him. Hector (laughs) says, you're not fighting. Paris says, I need to. I started this war. Hector laughs. He goes, don't be so naive, brother. You were part of it. So was the girl. So was Aeneas. So was I. So was Menelaus. Wars don't start because of one man's stupid decision. Hmm. They start because a lot of men haven't learned anything. Nice. Nice. And one thing I've learned is that royalty does not go to the front lines. You are to stay behind the walls to ensure our country has a line of succession. Paris goes, what about you? You're royalty. Hector goes, no, little brother. I'm Hector. (laughs) Hey! I like that a lot. I really like that. The Greek fleet is approaching. They get in formation. Light foot soldiers first to get pikes and those big fuck-off spikes to drive them to the ground, ready, followed by light cavalry to hold off a Trojan attack before the heavy fuckers get here. The beach looks empty and deserted. They're ready. The first Greeks hit the beach and they start enacting the plan and then the entire force of the fabled Trojan cavalry hits them like a sledgehammer. The Greeks are floundering, some are shooting arrows from the boats, but the Trojan armor's too thick and the cavalry is cutting them down before they even have a chance to hit the sand. Leading the charge, Hector yells, drive them back into the sea! And the attack intensifies. (laughs) From his ship, Agamemnon watches coldly. His men are dying in numbers, but he has one enormous advantage over the vicious Trojan troops. Not even 1% of his army has hit the beaches yet. 
Jeez. Hector seems to realize this because for every Greek they cut down, 10 more arrive as the ships keep hitting the sand. More and more ships with countless more to come. They continue to fight, then right when it seems like they're about to be swamped, Hector makes a signal and huge balls of hay soaked in pitch roll for the ships, followed by flaming arrows that turn the balls into a searing rolling infernos that hit the ships and literally burn the Greeks back into the sea. But the soldiers keep coming. The boats keep coming. The skirmish has become a full-fledged battle, and the seawater is red with blood. With his boat at a distance, Agamemnon waits. Achilles is about to hit the sand, and everything will change, except the Myrmidon boat does not move. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> On the boat, Patroclus says, we have to fight. People are dying. They need you. Achilles just watches, cold fury etched across his face. We have to turn up, he says. To come when the king calls. Oh. But nobody can make us fight. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. So the battle continues, but eventually there are just too many Greeks. And so Hector and his men retreat. And one of the soldiers, as they go, says, was it worth it? Hector just smiles grimly and says, countless Greeks cross the Aegean. Today, I reckon I might just be able to count them. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Also, for your, for your Patrocles, Aaron Taylor Johnson, kick yeah. ass. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great, good. And I had an Aeneas, uh, what's his name? Guy Pierce. Yep, cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good. Keep the Aussies in. Keep them in. Um, <laughs> so the battered Greeks rally and they set up camp. And as we cut between the two sides, strategy meetings indicate that kind of we're basically looking at an unstoppable force, a movable object problem. Hmm. See, the Greeks have the numbers. They've got men to spare. But the Trojans have the discipline, the skill, and what's more, the huge walls and passages in and out to bring them supplies. It's not unfeasible the Trojans could starve out the Greeks if they needed to. Agamemnon, however... Go straight to the camp of the Myrmidons, positioned prominently in the middle of all the others, protected by soldiers, and he demands Achilles come out, which he does. Agamemnon rails at the impassive soldier. What the hell was he thinking? We need you. And Achilles goes, you blackmailed me. But you ought to be careful what you wish for, my king. You could force me to come, but you could not force me to fight. Agamemnon says, is that so? Achilles shrugs. Depends how many men you want to lose. <laughs> Besides, wasn't the reason Odysseus was so desperate to bring me here to be a symbol? It's not a great idea to attack a symbol, is it? Oh... So furious, Agamemnon leaves because he knows now why Achilles placed himself in the exact center of the camp because no attack on him can be carried out quietly. Yeah. And the men would be like, why are you attacking the greatest, our greatest warrior? Yeah. Fuck you, I'm leaving. Yeah. So at his strategy meeting, Agamemnon's furious and he blames Odysseus. He didn't ask him to blackmail Achilles. Now they've lost their rallying point and their greatest soldiers. I don't know about that, Odysseus says. He's not stupid. If he didn't want to come, he would have found a way out. He plans to fight. The glory is too enticing, but he will make us wait. And then while we wait, we need a plan, Agamemnon spits. Preferably something that doesn't turn our greatest assets against us. I have a plan, Odysseus says slowly, but it will take time. We don't have time, Agamemnon snarls. We've got a huge army to feed and limited resources. The Trojans can stay behind their walls forever while we hemorrhage men and money. They can't stay behind their walls if they don't have food, Odysseus says. They've got their passages in and out of Troy, but those aren't our way in because they will take time to find, and I suspect they'd have a way to easily block them in case of a breach. Focusing on them as a waste of time, what we need to do is demolish the source, attack all the small villages around the city, burn them down, and we remove the Trojan food supplies. Oh, yeah. And we Odysseus force them is a clever motherfucker. Mm, yeah. into open combat. Agamemnon hesitates. They're just innocent villages, he says. No, they're Trojan villages, Odysseus replies. Oh, Mercy will not a, win you this bit war, of a cock. Mm, I like it. Yeah. He's a pragmatist. Mm. Agamemnon's troubled, but he nods, because frankly, the sooner the war ends, the better. In the meantime, Odysseus says, I need a small group of loyal men, I need a place to work, and I need no questions asked. And so begins a bloody and brutal war of attrition. The Trojans know the land and they're the better soldiers, but the Greeks are ruthless. They attack the villages and they begin the process of starving the Trojans out. 
But the nighttime attacks of the Trojans are savage and they're impossible to anticipate. They strike hard and fast, seemingly out of nowhere, killing hundreds of Greeks at a time before vanishing into the shadows again. And all the while, Achilles just sits in his tent. Agamemnon wants to attack and to punish him, but after all the wars he's won, Achilles is too popular and that popularity is becoming a curse because the eyes of the tired and beaten down soldiers start moving to the Myrmidon camp and mutters begin, how worthwhile is this war if Achilles won't fight it? He's long since proved he's far from a coward, so if he's got a reason, it has to be a good one. So weeks pass, and all that happens is lots of people die. Greek soldiers fall in huge numbers, and all they can do in retaliation is kill innocent villagers. And it's actually demolishing the morale in the Greek camp, because this is not the glorious battle they were sold on. This is brutal and ugly, and no ground has been gained on either side. In the middle of all of this, Menelaus watches and wonders if it was worth it. He had believed they started the battle for the strength of the Spartan nation, but what if it was just his pride, the anger of a spurned husband lashing out at the man who stole his wife? In fact, as he's kept awake by the screams of the wounded and the dying, and as much of the arid Trojan landscape becomes stained red with blood, Menelaus starts to wonder if there isn't some cleaner way to end this. So he confers with Agamemnon. He is, after all, Spartan and a soldier. He might be old, but he can still fight. So why not end it quickly and cleanly, offer the Trojans single combat, him against Paris? Yeah, they won't send Paris, Agamemnon says. They'll send Hector. There's no point in that, Menelaus says. We both know the realities here, but to the men, this started as a battle of damaged honour and pride between myself and Paris. Ending it that way is the only clean solution. Let them all go home. It's up to the Trojans whether they can sacrifice one weak prince to save their entire nation. So, the Greeks send their envoy, and the message is read out in court. Priam immediately refuses, but his sons are more troubled. Paris is no fighter, and he rec- but he also recognises this is the only way in which Troy might have a hope. Hector knows how this will end, and he tries to think of another solution, but nothing obvious presents itself. And Aeneas, on the other hand, simply says what everyone's thinking. It's one life against thousands. They have to take it and just hope Paris wins. It's <laughs> imagine Guy Pierce just delivering that with, like, deadpan. Well, bad luck. Sorry, Paris, you're yeah. a dick. Well, I said that from the beginning, so... <laughs> and Paris is pale and shaking. He doesn't see much hope here, but his guilt wins out, and he agrees. The envoy's sent back. Three days of peace, and then the fight. Three days in which Hector will do his best to train Paris. I like a deadline oh, and yeah. a training montage. Yep. <laughs> of course, it soon becomes clear this isn't really working. Paris is just too inept. And while he has youth on his side, men allows his experience. So maybe we get a few scenes of brotherly bonding as Paris slowly realizes he is going to die. He tries to put a brave face on it, but he can't hide the fact that he isn't eating or sleeping. Helen begs Hector to fight in his place. Hector will win in a heartbeat. But while he is conflicted, Hector understands that no matter how important his family is to him, Paris has to be the one to fight men allows. So the day arrives, and like in the actual film, both armies assemble outside Troy. Is it just drums? Yeah. Good. Paris is pale and shaking, and his goodbyes to his parents and Helen have an air of finality about them. Even Aeneas is clearly a little shaken as Paris and Hector walk out. On the other side, Menelaus watches his approaching enemy, and rather than feeling angry or excited, he, he's just sad. Paris is just a boy. The two combatants and their two brothers take the field. There are grim faces all around as Agamemnon and Hector stop halfway, letting Menelaus and Paris reach the middle. There's a hush over the battlefield. Everyone waits. And Menelaus looks momentarily like he wants to say something. There's no point. He attacks. Paris manages to hold his own at first, but his token palace training is no match for Menelaus's years on the battlefield. For every blow he parries, he's forced back further and further. Up on the battlements, Helen covers her eyes. Priam just watches on determinedly. And then Menelaus gets Paris across the leg. The Trojan prince goes down. Menelaus raises his sword, but Paris is crawling away back towards his brother. Menelaus watches him with mingled pity and revulsion. Then he brings down his sword only for it to be caught by Hector's. And the outcry is immediate. People are yelling on both sides. What are you doing, Menelaus demands. But Hector swings at him and it's on. As Paris is dragged back behind Trojan lines, Menelaus fights Hector. And this time Menelaus is the unmatched one. As Hector runs him through and the Spartan king falls. Oh, whoa, shit. 
The hush is back. Agamemnon is speechless and the attack begins. The two armies launch into combat. Agamemnon has to be dragged from the battlefield as he tries to reach Hector, who's cutting down Greek soldiers left and right. But this battle was not planned for, and without a clear strategy, the superior numbers of the Greeks are more hindrance than help, turning them into little more than a disorganized rabble. Before long, the volleys of arrows from the Trojan Wars are sending them into retreat. And on both sides now, the mood is grim. Hector may have saved his brother, but he just ensured there will be no fast end to this war. And while Paris is grateful to be alive, he can see the disgust on every face he passes. He's a cowardly little shit. Yeah. A Trojan prince should be above cowardice. Let's be honest. We would all do the same thing. Oh, yeah, oh, of course. In a, like, <laughs> in a hurry. I mean, oh, that's... My leg. Mommy! <laughs> I think that was a deep... We saw it in the movie. It was a deep gash. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why I hate him so much, because I could see myself oh, in yeah. him. We all, wanna, we all want to think we're Hector, but we're not. No, no, no. no, no. We're all Paris, <laughs> straight up. So that night, uh, Odysseus tries to speak to Agamemnon, and he suggests that maybe with Menelaus dead, there's no need for Helen. And Agamemnon's response is simple. With Menelaus dead, there is all the more need for war. The game has changed. Agamemnon Killed the king of Sparta. Exactly. Agamemnon will not leave these shores until Troy is in ashes. So troubled Odysseus goes for a walk, and he finds himself heading towards the Myrmidon camp. There's a respectful quiet, but it can't mask the fact that they've been partying and drinking while everyone else fights, except for one. So Patroclus wanders around outside the camp, and it doesn't take much prompting from Odysseus to find out what bothers him. And Patroclus understands Achilles' anger at the situation he's found himself in, but the truth is he's a young man. He believes he has to fight. He doesn't want to be remembered as a coward. Odysseus smiles sadly. It's doubtful anyone's going to be remembered for this. After all, with Menelaus dead, the men have little motive or morale. Only the Spartans have any reason to keep fighting for the wife of a dead king. The fact is, while Agamemnon will make them stay, an army who doesn't believe in their cause is an army that fails. What they need is something to inspire them, to rally them and convince them that glory is what waits on the other side of this war. What they need is Achilles. He won't fight, Patroclus says bitterly. They all believe he's his noble hero, but he's just a man, a petulant, immature man who's happy to let men die so he can prove a point. We don't need Achilles the man, Odysseus says. We need Achilles the symbol. Oh, here it comes. So frowning, Patroclus returns to the camp, where Achilles has passed out drunk. And as Patroclus stands in the doorway of the tent, his eyes move to the armour. Hector, meanwhile, won't hear a word about his having made the wrong choice in killing Menelaus. That's not important now. What's important is this. With the effective loss of their reason to fight, the Greeks will be reeling. And that means they will not be ready for the Trojan force to attack them that night. To go down in force and remove the Greeks from the land for good. It will be a slaughter, but after what the Greeks did to the surrounding villages, they deserve no less. And so in the dead of the night, the Trojans march. The Greeks, many drunk, are not ready, and the assault is brutal as Hector hits them with everything he has. Ships are set alight. Men are murdered left, right, and center. The Greeks are in disarray, unable to meet the attack head on, and then out of their mist, dressed in distinctive golden armor, glorious in the light of the burning ships, comes Achilles and the Myrmidons. And Achilles' prowess is famed even among the Trojans, and it turns the tide of the battle. On both sides, there are whispers. Achilles is here. Achilles is fighting. Whispers that soon reach Hector. And so Hector cuts his way through the battle, trying to reach the only man who could rival him. And he finally, he sees the golden armor and their fight begins. Men clear a way around them as the two most legendary warriors of their age finally meet on the field of battle as swords are swung and Hector cuts Achilles' throat in one brutal attack. Because of course, as we know, this wasn't Achilles, this was Patroclus. Fresh-faced young Patroclus who falls dead. The battle seems to halt. And as Hector takes it in, puts this together with what he knows of Achilles... He realizes what this will mean. Oh, no. Retreat, he says. Back behind the Trojan walls, Hector's soldiers ask why they didn't press their advantage. But for Hector, it's obvious. 
They saw the difference it made when a false Achilles joined the fray. Imagine what would happen if the real one, in a grief-fueled rage, did the same. They wouldn't be fighting a broken army, they'd be fighting berserkers. But furthermore, Hector's realised something. Troy spent years keeping an ear on all the Greek wars, and Achilles' reputation, his prowess in battle, his legendary feats, well, they do precede him. The biggest advantage the Trojans have had is that Achilles wasn't against them. Now he'll be out for blood. And if that's the case, Hector wants one more night with his family. There's my heart. And of course, the next morning, the scouts see a lone chariot approaching the gates of Troy. Please tell, me, please tell me it's just the exact same bit where he just yells at the gates like he does in the original mm-hmm. film. I don't have it here, but it can be. Yeah, good, like thanks. <laughs> um, Hector! And Hector, lying awake in bed, is not surprised when he hears the knock at the door. He kisses his wife, holds his son one last time, and then walks out to face his fate. As he walks through the gate, he sees Helen watching from a distance, just tears in her eyes. The gates open and Hector walks out. Achilles, no helmet on, stares at him, eyes red. The two warriors just look at each other for a long time and no one says a word. And then finally, Hector just says, I'm sorry. And Achilles says, I don't care. <laughs> Up on the battlements, people are gathering as word spreads. Finally, the royal family arrive, refusing to believe what they've heard. But sure enough, down below, Achilles and Hector face off. Priam immediately calls for archers, but Aeneas grabs his hands. No. Tears in his eyes, Aeneas tells his father they already saved one Trojan prince through cheating. Do it again, and they start to look like the dishonorable ones to their own people. If Hector's legend is to continue to inspire... He must fight. And he does. Now, this is the first time we've seen Achilles in action in this, and it is terrifying. Strength, speed, skill. He truly is the warrior of legend. But so is Hector, and the match is as perfect as it is spectacular. Every blow parried, every move anticipated, it is impossible to say who is better. Until it becomes very possible when Achilles faints before cutting Hector's leg out from under him. And then... As the Trojan prince bleeds into the dirt of the homeland he fought so brilliantly to protect, Achilles looks up at the gathered city and drives his sword through the chest of their prince. The city watch. There are tears. There are cries. But nobody moves to attack Achilles, not even as he ties Hector to his chariot. I love that scene. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) And returns to the Greek camp. Oh, I got goosebumps. (laughs) And as Achilles enters the camp, there are no cheers. No sense of victory or glory or honor. Just weariness. Nobody speaks to Achilles. Nobody knows what to say as he returns to his tent, leaving the body of Hector to rot in the sun. And later that night, there is a visitor from the Greek camp, a lone figure in a chariot, who gets in on the cover of darkness and approaches Achilles' tent. It's Priam. And he goes to Achilles and he begs for the return of his son's body. They didn't take Patroclus from him. Yes, you did, Achilles snarls. But finally, this proud king brought low as he kisses the hands of the man who killed his son. It affects Achilles. Because maybe when he looks into Priam's eyes, he sees grief that reflects his own. And so he goes out and he wraps Hector's body. Together, he and Priam bundle it into the chariot. And Achilles stands alone in the night, watching, tears pouring down his face as the only man who ever matched him gets taken away. And then, out of the night, a whistle and then an arrow strikes Achilles in the heel. He goes down, more shocked than hurt. He tries to wrench it free, but his arms have gone weak. And his blurry eyesight lingers just long enough see Paris emerge from the night. The weakling Trojan prince looks down at the greatest warrior in history and then spits in his face before he vanishes into the night. And inside the gates of Troy, Priam watches as priests take away Hector's body. Behind him, a side door opens and Paris enters. Is it done? Priam asks. Oh, Gabe. Gabe. It's Gabe of Thrones. (laughs) 
So now the war has reached its dying days. Both sides have lost heroes. Both sides are starting to wonder if there's any chance of victory at all at this point. And maybe Greek eyes start turning towards home. Some have already left in the night, fed up with the futility of it all. But Agamemnon remains determined and he calls Odysseus to him. He demands victory and soon he's at the point where he's willing to do anything. Anything, Odysseus says. And he takes Agamemnon further down the coast where, in a secluded grove, he reveals what he, why he requested the men back at the start of the war. They've built a huge, beautiful wooden horse. Not a ramshackle one in the movie, because that was more of a middle finger than a gift, but a beautifully crafted work of art. And Odysseus explains his plan to a grim-faced Agamemnon, that they're going to pretend to leave, but sneak soldiers inside to destroy the city and open the gates using the horse. And Agamemnon is coldly furious. He told Odysseus not to do this, and yet he's been going behind his back from the start. And what's more, he's using people's beliefs. That's all you have left, Odysseus snarls. And for the first time, we see the Ithkin king truly angry as he bears down on a shocked Agamemnon. Too many people have died, and too many more will die. Whatever Agamemnon thinks of his methods, this is the quickest way to end the war with the least amount of bloodshed, because after years of watching people die for Agamemnon's ambitions, Odysseus has had enough. So they can call him dishonorable. They can call him a cheat. They can call him a manipulator. But after everything, Odysseus has no real reason left to believe in honor or the gods or fair warfare. He just wants to go home to his wife and son like every other man in the army. And there is no alternative. Agamemnon, he's still angry, but he agrees. He's tired too. So the plan is enacted. The Greeks feign departure and they leave the horse, where the Trojans, on their way to attack, soon find it. There's some confusion, but Priam sees it as a gift of concession. After all, they knew the war was dying down. Is it really a surprise that with Menelaus and Achilles dead, the Greeks no longer want to fight? It's a gift of honour. And Paris, still guilty over starting the war and still reeling from the loss of his brother, he, he agrees. He believes, or maybe he just wants to believe, that this is just a gift. It just is what it seems to be. Aeneas, however, believes it is a trick of some sort. We need to burn it, he says. Why would we accept a gift from the Greeks? We owe them nothing. It's an affront to the gods to ignore a gift, Priam says. But Aeneas begs him, burn it. Please just burn it. But Aeneas is outvoted. Oh, and God into the Pierce. city, the horse comes. <laughs> Buddy. And so at this point, of course, we know the story. The Trojans revel. They celebrate the end of the war. And by night, when they're all drunk and passed out, the Greeks emerge from the horse. They slit the throats of the remaining guards. They open the doors where Agamemnon leads his army into victory. The sacking of Troy is brutal and bloody. After weeks of hardship, the Greeks do not hold back in butchering the Trojans. Priam and Hecuba are thrown from the gates like many others. Paris and Aeneas, meanwhile, get to work helping people into the passages as the city burns around them. When they finally help as many as they can, they both turn to join the fray to defend their dying city. But Paris grabs Aeneas' hand. No, not you. Aeneas looks at him confused. Our people need a leader, Paris says. And with that, he shoves Aeneas through the passage and pulls a lever put in place to block it in case of invasion. Then Paris turns and walks into the flaming remnants of the war he started. Nice, 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 nice. nice, Bit of redemption. Paris, you're not a dick. I kind of like you now. (laughs) By morning, Troy is a burnt out shell. Odysseus stands in the square near the remains of the horse, but there's no joy or satisfaction on his face. He just wants to get home. Agamemnon, meanwhile, feels the same. In the end, what were they fighting for? All that's left is a blackened wreck full of corpses. As the Greeks return to their ships, we do notice something strange, however. Many of them seem to be muttering, passing letters to each other. Agamemnon sees this, but he thinks nothing of it as he boards his ship and prepares to depart. What he doesn't notice is Odysseus watching him coldly from the beach. Out to sea. Gabe. Agamemnon starts to realise that things are a bit strange. His (gasps) men are muttering, they're looking at him a lot. He tries to ignore it, but the further they go, the worse it gets. And finally, he confronts a band of them and demands to know what they're talking about. 
And with a shaking voice, the man says that there was word from Greece. Letters have been coming from weeks, from all the temples. Word that the priests have heard from the gods that if you return, Greece will burn. Oh, she's the belief again. That's such a good. Wait, what? Agamemnon scoffs. That's just superstitious nonsense. <laughs> but he trails off as he realizes he's now surrounded by soldiers, all holding knives. And on Agamemnon's horrified face, we cut to Odysseus, standing on the prow of his ship, looking forward onto distant Ithaca. We hold on him until his ship passes, and finally all we can see in the distance is the ruined shape of a once great city, smoke still filling the sky. The end. Oh, oh shit. Oh, Gabe. Gabe. I'm not one for hyperbole. But uh, that may be your best pitch yet. Though. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> that was fuck. Oh, that was fucking solid. The fact that we we knew the story. Yeah, you hit all the same beats, but you you switched all the motives in a way that strengthened it. Like, I, basically, you've taken a film in which I care about everyone and want them all to win, but also like I don't because in the film it's very clear that you kind of want don't want Paris to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Hector, while you want you like Hector, Achilles is the guy you you're on the side yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. The Trojans just seem like dickheads. But in this, everyone's a dickhead. Yeah, but the thing is, what it's I because it's because it's a it's a it's a war film. Yeah. yeah, there are no there are no good guys, there are no bad guys, yeah. there are just, just guys. People. They're yeah. just people, and none of them <laughs> want war, none of them want to no. be there. I didn't <sighs> want like an Agamemnon moustache twirling villain being like, aha, for my evil scheme. Mm. I wanted the characters to be a bit more complex and have yep. a bit more kind of light and shades of them oh, and color. That nice yeah. little motif of the belief thing too, just mm. oh. yeah, I sort of realized what was going on. I was like, that's kind of the theme of it. It's about. Yeah belief and it's about because i mean if you think about the the story of troy and the iliad and things like that i mean that's a story that has inspired so many people in so many ways for so long like belief is a fundamental foundation of and you know the gods and everything in that story Mm. all of that they exist yeah and so i I thought you were going to use real gods for a bit because it is interesting in the iliad there's that whole bit where like hector's about to kill achilles and then like Poseidon just shows up, picks him up, and puts him on, and a, puts mountain. Him on a mountain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, nah, bad luck. And Ares is like, oi. <laughs> more of the, like, the Iliad's kind of split. So much of it is just about the gods and their feuds mm. and their problems with each other and everything. And it's how also a large chapter it. about Achilles' shield and how sad he is. <laughs> yes, well. Okay. But yeah, anyway, so that, that was my take on Troy. Like, I mm. kind of, and I kind of wanted to explore the idea of belief and the idea of inspiring and the idea of, you know, what it takes to sort of build morale and to inspire people and mm. to become a symbol but then also kind of showing the dangers of belief because Agamemnon sort of says right from the start, if you let people believe in their gods, yeah. then they're going to take things very seriously when somebody get an indication. Yeah, that what's, what's a king something. to a god? So, so, exactly. Yeah. I, I know you like Colin first and I can see that in my head, but now I'm thinking like Ray Fiennes or someone oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, thought, Ray Fiennes could be good. Originally I thought, well, I thought Bendy Cumberbatch for Aeneas, but I also kind of thought him for Achilles. Uh, no, for Odysseus, sorry. Right, yeah. But- See, I'd love to see Ben Mendelsohn as someone, but he's oh, he's yeah. too evil. I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, but he's got range. Like, he can play. He, he can, can play Odysseus. Play good. Yeah. Um, he could be a great. He'd be a great. Like Odysseus. Odysseus does. Like, he'd, Odysseus. Also, he'd be a good uh, Agamemnon too, just quietly. Oh yeah, yeah. the yeah. guy gone mad with power. I have like it starts off. He's a he's a politician reasonable, and it's yeah. reasonable, and then there's just a point he gets to where it's like, no, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. you've you've basically made Dunkirk, but with swords. It yeah. just sounds. It would just tension and yeah. stakes and drums and. and th- no one wins in war. No. No, no one not wins. In fact, the only person that wins is Odysseus. And even worse, they all went in knowing that. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, it played the de- out. Exactly the death of Achilles like, is such a nice little like, eh, he's just a guy. Yeah. 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 I, I love that you switched though that uh, Priya, the Pri- Priam. Priam planned. Yeah. Oh. Because I thought about that and I was like, what if like, what if Priam actually like planned that whole thing to yeah. turn up and be like, 
my, you know, want my son's body. But actually, because it's like, because I mean, yeah, like there's so much of, you know, in that story and in the movie really does a lot with this, like the whole thing of like honor in war mm. and sort of, you know, doing the right thing. And, you know, nobody shoots Achilles at the gates and everything like that. Yep. But in this, I was like, yeah, but you take, you take human emotions out of the fact. Like nobody's that honorable. No. Yeah. After a while, like, it'll get to a point where it's like, I want that man to die. He killed my son. Yeah. I don't care about honor anymore. Especially because he dragged him away. Like that wasn't honorable to tie him to his horse and drag no, him away. No, no. And so he's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to use that and be like, oh, yeah, I've come on the cover of night to ask my son's body and all mm. of that and to appeal to your better nature and the warrior in you, <sighs> yeah. that, you know, appeal to the honor in you that sort of is still there even after, you know, you've done this horrible thing fueled yeah. by rage. But then after that, no, it's, it's just. Mm. And because and Hector doesn't not behave honorably at any point. Except, yeah. except when he steps in to save his brother. But even there is an honour yeah, to that. That's, that's still yeah, his, down to him yeah. you know, caring for his family. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted... Um, it's very, if, if, if Benioff had have written this version of Troy, it would make sense for him then to go and work on Game of Thrones. Yes. The, early yes. seasons. the early seasons. At the moment, yeah. we have the current iteration of Troy, which is an indication of the latter seasons <laughs> of Game yes, of Thrones. Very much. Yeah. And more of Benioff's storytelling approach. Yeah. Um, I wanted The idea I had with, um, with Paris and Priam kind of planning the killing of Achilles. The idea I had for that was that um that basically nobody else would know about it hmm. because if the Trojans if if it got out among the Trojan men, like if they hired men to do it or something, yeah. and it got out among the Trojans that they'd done this act of sort of subterfuge, that would kind of weaken their position. Because it's so much of it is about like, you know, seeming honorable even though mm. you're not. Yeah. So that you can use that as a weapon again, to bolster is, your position. Is all belief. Oh yeah. like Gabe. And that's it. And every time there's a turn, it's when someone acts unhonorable. Yeah, pretty much. Because, like, obviously, um, but they're but they're they're unhonorable. They're dishonorable in in an aspect, but at the same time, they're actually honoring something else. So, so even Odysseus's betrayal is honoring his family. He yeah. just wants to get yeah. home and just yeah. to end the war as quickly as possible. He's exactly. Like, it's, yeah. It's, I don't want to prolong it. I don't want more people to die. He's like, yeah, people are going to die one way or another. But if I can deal with it quickly, mm. then. That's but it, it is, but it's like this escalation of dishonorable motives, although for honorable reasons. Yeah. It's great. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking I might um I might do this one as a novel, maybe, or something. Because yeah. I'd read it. Yeah, yep. it's not it's yeah, I, I sort of suggest this going in, but like it's not it's less a fix of the film and more this is my take on the Trojan War. That's okay. Mm. Yeah. That's a that's a maintenance. Yeah. It's Troy yeah, story. Yeah. It's Troy story. Yeah. It's Troy story. True story there are too. elements from the movie in there, like because Menelaus doesn't die in the original story; he gets Helen back and happy endings. Oh. But um, but yeah, like I, I, it's one choice I really love in the film is the killing of Menelaus. Mm. Like you're taking away the reason for the war. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's just yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a really interesting choice that you mm. can do a lot with because then it it's like, well, then why are we here? And then but then Achilles starts fighting. And it's like, oh, that's why we're here because we're following. Yeah. And then he does, and then like, then why are we here? Which means it's easier for Odysseus to be like, do you want to end the war? And also, fuck you, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that was another thing. Like, I don't know if it was like played up enough, but I want to be, you know, Ithaca was one of the first to fall. And that whole time, this has been like, fuck you, Agamemnon. Mm. In the end, mm. he plants the letters and he plants everything so that he can just wipe out Agamemnon yeah. in like one final blow. There is, the there is no chance of him having to go back to war because yep. that is exactly. gone. It's yeah. done. And he's now the king again. So yeah. nobody can call him and they can go back. Oh, brilliant. So yeah. if you come for the king, you best not miss. <laughs> And that's my Troy. Beautiful. So on that note, I've been Gabe. I've been Damien. I've been Handsome Tom. If you guys have any thoughts on Troy the movie or Troy the pitch, um, email us in at sanspantsradio at gmail.com. Otherwise, on Twitter, at mmsanspants. Otherwise, individually, I'm at Goldbergmoser. I'm at Midday Pajamas. I'm at Awkward Treed. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.